like you to open your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 22. And we'll try to finish what we started last week, which was titled, Pray This Prayer for Us. And we're referring to the prayer in Luke chapter 22 and verse 32, where Jesus said, But I have prayed for you that your faith fail you not. Now, that's the prayer that I want prayed for me. But there's more to that than just somebody making up a prayer and praying it. Prayer is one of those subjects, as I said last week, that's probably the most popular Christian subject there is. People talk about prayer all the time. Bumper stickers, a family that prays together, stays together, try prayer. Seem like prayer is something that we know we should do anytime there's an emergency or a difficulty or a crisis or a need of some sort. I guess as Christians, we just know we should pray. So it's a subject that we talk about a lot, we deal with a lot, we think about a lot, and hopefully we do a lot. But it's also a subject which brings a lot of difficulty because we wonder why it didn't work. I prayed and I did this, I confessed, I said this, I did that, and yet it seemed like my prayer didn't work. And we know that in First John 5, we mentioned this last week, that... The Bible plainly says, if we know that He hears us when we pray, then we know that we have what we ask for. And so the issue we're dealing with is, it's not just are you praying about something, are you petitioning or asking God for something, but is it working for you? Is He hearing you? Because the Bible says if He hears us, then we know that we have the petitions that we have desired of Him. And he said, we read last week in Hebrews chapter 10, that we are to draw near with a pure heart and a confidence of faith. This is how we draw near to God. He did say, come boldly to the throne of grace. We're invited to draw near. We're invited to pray. And so as we come and we draw near and pray, the Bible says that he who promised in Hebrews 10, he said, he that made the promises that we're counting on is faithful. He watches over His Word to perform it in Jeremiah 1. He hasn't made a promise He can't keep. Nothing is too difficult for God. All of these things in the Bible, as we accumulate through the years, as it concerns prayer, we come back to this one subject. Well, then, is God hearing me when I pray? Is there any kind of an obstacle between God and I? There are reasons He won't pray. Unforgiveness is one. Holding resentment, a bitter heart about somebody or something. Sin in your life, wicked practices in your life, secret sins, personal and private things that you know are wrong, that'll keep you from being heard. That'll hinder your prayers. If you're married and you're not getting along with your wife, family problems, didn't he say in 1 Peter 3 that your prayers be not hindered? 1 Peter 3, 6, husband love with your wives as with a weaker vessel and so on and so forth. And he said that your prayers be not hindered. Well, a lot of men diligent in the church and everything else, but not at home, prayers don't get heard. They pray, they mouth the right words, they confess the right word, they quote the Bible, everything, but nothing works. So as we dive in a little deeper as Christians into this subject and pursuit of why that question is just asked, what's wrong that we're not getting answers to our prayers? Then it brings me back to the subject we started last week, that the problem is, verse 1, the devil hath desired you. Luke 
22, verse 31. The devil hath desired you. Does your Bible say that? Well, why would he desire you? Well, he had you. He wants to, the word means claim you back. He had you for a long, long time, and now you decided to surrender your heart and soul to Christ. And you want him now to govern your life, and you want to break free from this bondage of corruption that he's brought in your life, the devil's brought in your life. It's a struggle. And he doesn't want you to win, so he comes against you, just like he did to Peter. Jesus told Peter. Jesus said that. He said, Peter, the devil has desired you so that secondly, and he's the cause of all your problems. In Job's life, it was the turmoil with the weather and all these assaults by the terrorists and by the killed his family and destroyed all of his problems. It was the devil. It was the work of the devil. So he's the same one who desires you. Secondly, we said, that he might sift you as wheat. Now, sift, as I made a point last week, was to agitate the wheat, to bang it against something that will break that outer shell off of it. It's not, I'm sure, if wheat had feelings, they, they wouldn't like it. But we would because when we got that shell off of that wheat, then we can grind that grain up and make bread and flour and so on and so forth out of it. But sifting is an important part of our life. Put your finger there. I'll be back in just a minute. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8 and look with me at verse 2. Deuteronomy 8 and 2. This has to do with the turmoil in our life, the trouble that we experience. We call it testings, trials. They include tribulation of some degree, persecution. Remember the verse that said, All that live godly shall suffer persecution? Most people who quit the Christian life quit because of persecution. I mean, here in America, my goodness, and nobody has to put up with that. Why would we have to walk through that? It wouldn't matter where you live. God will see to it that you are agitated and sifted and shaken to see if you really are what you confess that you are or that you really mean what you say you believe. You'll find out. And God stepped out of the way and said, all right, devil, just like he did Job. He's in your hands. And you'll be sifted and you'll think it's not fair. It's not fun. Where's the joy? Where's the peace? And you're going through all of this and you're uncertain about the outcome, whether this is going to work. Somebody's going to die here. I'm not going to make it. I'm going broke. I'm going to lose everything. It's very real when you're going through it. It's a fiery trial. And it's a testing. But it's so important. Listen to this in verse 2. Thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee. Who's doing the leading here? God. See what God did. These 40 years in the wilderness to humble thee and to prove thee, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Because again, we looked at the sword and the seed last week. We didn't look at the one so much about the persecution, but the Bible said by and by when persecution came because of the word, he stumbled or he was offended or he quit. And people do that. We read that they do that. They walk away when the heat's too hot, when it's too hard, when I'm losing my comfort zone. I'm not going to put up with this. And therefore, they're never proven. They go their whole life as Christian people in Christian churches and are never proven that they're the real deal. 
Now, they would fight you over that if you said they weren't, but they have never proven that. And then the same chapter, verse 16, Who fed thee in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers knew not, that he might humble thee, and that he might prove thee. Notice why. What does the last part of that verse say? To do thee good when? Then is it not true that God who starts something has a purpose in what he started? And if it involves you and the sifting and the shaking of your life, does he not have a good intention for the end of this thing? Was there not something better for Peter at the end of what he went through than it was before? He didn't know that. He had that tape in his machine, but he didn't know that. He'd been told that, and oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But when he was going through it, oh, man. Forty years in the wilderness to humble us, get that arrogance out of you. To prove you to whether or not you are willing to walk with the Lord. So that if you are, He will bless you. What do you say again in verse 16? So that He may do thee good at thy latter end. And you're all familiar with Deuteronomy 13. If that prophet or that dreamer of dreams comes along and gives you a sign or a wonder. And it comes to pass just like he said. But then he wants to lead you with doctrine to some other direction. He said, you won't listen to that man because God is testing you, proving you whether you will exchange whoopee-doo for truth. And a lot of people do. It's exciting. It's fun. Like somebody said years ago, he said, I'm not going to sit in this cornfield all my life as though nothing ever happened to a man's heart in a cornfield. Well, it could happen in a wheat field. It could happen in a schoolhouse, wherever God's people are gathered together, wherever they meet. If you're looking for excitement and woo, and notoriety, I promise you that there are people waiting for you. You'll be sifted and tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. For there is not, in my experience, in my observation from where I'm perched in God's kingdom, there is not a lot of desire or tolerance for doctrine. For things that are true on which God founds and establishes His people. They don't like to hold still long enough to get in it and get grounded or rooted. They like to play. So you'll be tested to see whether you're willing to stay put or you'll follow the newest thing going. And there'll be another one this year, or maybe two this year, two more new things. So we're tested or we're sifted for that reason. Turn to 1 Corinthians 11. Even within the church building, we often have issues. In the local assembly, there are often issues. He said, for there must be heresies among you, misleading teaching and ideas, things that divide us and cause us to take sides, heresies. He said, for there must be heresies among you, he said, so that they which are approved may be known. But there must be heresies among you that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. Would he be saying this, that God will allow distracting things to happen within a local assembly in order that those who are willing to stay with God on the issue will be manifested? 
Say yes, because that's what he said. There are all kinds of winds and doctrines. People's opinions often try to become doctrine. People's ideas are more important than doctrine. So you'll be tested like that. You'll be tested just to see how strong you are in what you believe. In what you believe and what you're standing on. If they put a gun to your head, you would say, I will not recant because this is my life. Deuteronomy 32, he said, for the words of God are your life. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word. And if they speak not according to this word, it's because they have no light and they walk in darkness. And if the light in you is darkness, Jesus said, how great is the darkness? Because you don't know where it's going to lead you when it's over. But this word is like a light. It does tell us where we're going. And we do know the end of our life if we stay with it. Now, he said there must be heresies among you so that they which are approved will be manifested. Now, if you'll keep going and bear with me for a minute, turn to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. We know that some are going to depart from the faith. We also know why they will depart from the faith. But the problem is they'll give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons, which makes them think that they're right and they can't see that they're wrong because it's religious. But they will depart from the faith. They will give heed to false things. How do you know this morning whether or not what you're hearing is false or not? How do you know I'm not misleading you this morning? Trumping up something that may not work or doesn't work, but making you think it works or leading you into some other direction? Or how do you know I'm not taking advantage of you? How do you know? Hopefully you have enough of that word in your lap that's in your heart that you're not following men and following systems of men, but you're staying with the word of God. If you had to walk out that door and live alone the rest of your life because of your assurance of what God said in his word, you're willing to do that. Though none go with me, I'm looking for a bunch that will go with me to follow. No. I want to be grounded. I want to know in whom and in what I have believed. And I want to know that I am steadfast and stable and unmovable and that I will abound in the work of the Lord. I want that. For all of us, you and me both, so that you're not following me, I'm not misleading you, but we're proving the word to see, in fact, if it is the word. And we'd be found faithful to his word. James chapter 1, look at verse 12. Blessed is the man that endureth temptations. For once he is tried or proven, he shall receive the crown of life. Now, I don't know what you do with the other side of that. If you turn that around, you would have to say something like, Cursed is the man that will not endure temptation. For he has never been proven, and therefore he will never receive the crown of life. For what was promised, he didn't get it. Would that be true? If one part is true, would the other side also be true? If the Bible said, blessed are they that endure temptations, they'll receive the crown of life. Well, then it has to be true. But cursed are those who do not endure trials, for they will not receive the crown of life. This is what makes us think. This is why we ponder Scripture or we meditate and we dive into it because this is where the fear and trembling part comes from. I'm glad you can quote the Bible. I'm glad you know where it is and you can tell other people about it. 
But just remember that God isn't playing games with us. If he said this is a way walking in it, there is no other way. If he said he is the way, the truth, and the life, there is no other way, truth, or life. He is it. You have only one choice. You have no options. You live this way. And people don't like you to talk like that. I know that in Christian circles. You're making it too narrow. I'm not making anything narrow. I'm just like a... You've seen those towers on hills, radio towers. Some of them are called repeater stations. That's what I am, just repeating it. Just running it on from heaven to you. But again, you determine if that's the Lord or not. So he said, and like in verse 2 and 3, Count it all joy when you encounter divers' trials, knowing this and so forth. You're being tested so that you can be approved, lacking in nothing. Go back to Luke 22. This is what the sifting is telling us. You're undergoing difficulty and trials and tribulations. It's not fun, but there's a purpose for this. God's not mad at you. He's not seeing how much you can take. God isn't having an enjoyable moment just seeing how much pressure He can put on you. He has a purpose and a design in all of these difficulties and trials that you go through. Now, we were in Luke 22, 32 last week. Let's go back to that. Because the first thing we said, there are four things about the Christian life that make us need prayer. One is the devil who desires us to, that we're being sifted, which is the leading us, thirdly, to why prayer is important here. Because this is a time to pray. But Jesus said to Peter, knowing what he's about to go through, Jesus said to Peter, but I have prayed for you that your faith fail you not. Now, that's who I want to pray for me. I want Jesus praying for me. Would he do that? Well, now, wait a minute. Why would he pray? He's God. God doesn't pray. Who does God pray to? Does he pray? When Jesus was on this earth, did he pray? Who did he pray for? Well, now, wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't think everything he saw in life that he would go somewhere and say, Now, Father, I pray about that. I don't think he saw these angry mobs and say, Oh, Lord, I ask you to touch their hearts and turn them around. We would do that, but I don't know that he would do that. You don't know that? Well, I'll tell you what. Turn to John 17. John 17. Now, why are you going over there and why are you looking for that? Let me keep talking to you about something. When Jesus said, I have prayed for you, and we think of what I said at the beginning, you know, if we know that he hear us in 1 John 5, verse 15, if we know that he hear us, whatever we ask, then we know that we have what we ask for. We may not see it yet, we may not feel it yet, but we know we have it. Is Jesus always heard? That is, if he prayed for anything or anybody, does God hear it? All right, now, if God hears it, then does it work? So then, if he's praying for me, then I should have faith in the fact that if he's praying for me, just let me use that, if he's praying for me, then I'm going to get what he's praying for. Or if he's praying that something will happen to me, something's going to happen to me. 
that if he said, I'm a pretty thing, that I'm going to be a pretty thing. If he said, I'm ugly as whatever, that I'm going to be ugly as whatever. Because whatever he's praying for, I'm going to get it. Because God hears him. Now, in John eleven forty two, at the tomb of Lazarus, Jesus said, Father, I know thou hearest me always. Now, listen. Get this part. Take this home with you today. Anytime, every time Jesus ever prayed, his prayer not only was heard, but it worked. If Jesus prayed for anybody to be saved, they got saved. If you prayed for anybody to be saved, they got saved. I'm just saying that as a statement. If he prayed for anybody to walk in victory, they walked in victory. If he prayed that anybody would do well in life, they did well in life. Because when he prayed, God heard him. That's John eleven forty two. Now, this is what he prayed. Let's see if we can find something here to hold on to and take home with us even more today. In John 17, and this is called his high priestly prayer. The prayer he prayed before Gethsemane and before his crucifixion. This is his last recorded prayer in his flesh, in the days of his flesh. Now, verse 9, I pray for them. Who's them? His disciples? His followers? He said, I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, they are yours. Now, let's wax theological here for just a moment. Who did Jesus pray for specifically? He prayed for them, whoever them is. Are you one of them? How do you know you're one of them? That's who he's praying for, a certain specific group of people. He said he is not praying for the world. For all the suffering masses and the numerous, too many zeros people out there that are just upside down. And the Bible said he's not praying for them. He's praying for whoever them is. Are you one of them? Because if you are, he's praying for you. And if he's praying for you, it's going to work. Look at John chapter 6. You're not far from John chapter 6 and verse 44. Let me show you who them are. No man can come to me except the Father which sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Now go back to John 17 and verse 9 again. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are yours. Let me ask you a question. How does an us become one of them? How does an ain't become a saint? How do we who are of the world become one of those that are called out of the world and become his? How can that happen? Well, what did he say in John 6? He said, no man can come to the Son except the Father which sent the Son draws him. That's how you got here if you're here. If you're one of his, that's how it happened. You, you can wander in here. Wheat and tares grow together. But God's people, the real true wheat, are the ones that God draws to him. Why does he draw them? Not because they have anything to offer him. 
not because of their talents or their money or anything else, because all we like sheep have gone astray. There was nothing lovely or good or acceptable in any of us. Why would he pick you? Why would he pick me? I was a car chaser. That's what dogs do. And I was the lowest form of anything that would be acceptable to God in his kingdom. Why would he pick somebody like that? Why would he pick Paul? Paul was on his way to Damascus to kill us. Drag us out in the yard and beat us and, and kill us and whip us. And if he died, just laugh. <laughs> we got another. And God saved him while he was getting ready to do that. Why would he do that? I don't know either. Why would he save you all? I don't know. Why would he save us and send the whole bunch of us here? I don't know. It's a good thing you and I aren't God because probably nobody else would be here except our family and our buddies. God has a plan. He saw from far off, long time before the world ever was, He saw His people. He knew them all by name. That's me and you. We'll get to that in just a minute. And He called us out of darkness unto His marvelous light, which is He lifted us out of the miry clay and set us upon a rock. Why us? I don't know. He didn't do that to the world. The world out there doesn't care a thing about this. Why do you care? Because God did that for you. Listen, he put himself on your side. Just as he put you on his side. You had nothing to offer him. You were not good enough. You never will be. And he brought you to himself because one reason. He loved you. And he said, you didn't choose me. I chose you. I have chose you and ordained you that you should go and bear much fruit. And before you ever bear the first fruit, I'm going to wear you out. You're going to get sifted like you're thinking, what am I doing in this? But my influence in your life will keep you from quitting. Because if it wasn't for God, we'd all quit. Never leaves us, never lets us go, always with us, follows us everywhere, knows everything, watches everything, guides every step. Because God called us a long time ago out of darkness and brought us to Him. Put our wicked feet in His court and begin to breathe upon His garden, as the Song of Solomon said, and begins to grow. And the fragrance of this thing that He does is marvelous. Why would He do that to some wicked bush, branch, weed like us? I don't know. You need to know if you're one of them or not. You really do. Because if you are, Jesus prayed for you. Yeah. Well, go on. Let me show you something else. Go back to John 17, verse 11. He said, And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. That is, they're living in this world. And I come to thee, Holy Father... Notice he prayed this, keep them through thine own name, those whom thou hast given me. Are you going to be kept? Well, let me ask you a question. Are those that God gave to Jesus, that God called out of the world, are they going to be kept? Amen. Then you just admitted you're part Calvinist. You believe in the doctrine of preservation, the preservation of the saints. That's where the Baptists got it. 
And that's the truth. If you make sure you're one of his, once saved, they say always saved. If you are his, nobody's going to pluck you out of his hand. If you believe in John chapter 10, you just got to know. But you can't just say that and assume that's true. That's not true because you said it. You can't make it true by saying it. It's true because it's in the Bible. And there'll be a witness in the heart of God's people because in the turmoil and the difficulty of the sifting process, they will know that they are gripped and holding on. And they will not quit. They will not give up. They will not back off. They will not surrender to the devil. That isn't all he prayed. Go back to John 17 again. Look at verse 13. Holy joy. How about that? And now I come to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Uh-oh, we need some work to do, don't we? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Are God's people going to have the joy of the Lord? Which is your, what is it? The joy of the Lord is my, thank you. Are you going to have it? Are God's people going to have it or not? Did Jesus pray that they would have it? And if he prayed they'll have it and God hears his prayer, guess what's going to happen to us? <laughs> Praise the Lord. Maybe like a little sign I saw one time, joy is evidence of the presence of Jesus. Not happiness. Happiness just depends on what happens. But joy is a fruit of the Spirit. It's a spiritual thing altogether. Joy doesn't depend on what happens. Joy depends on faith. What do you believe? Do you believe that it's going to be the way God said it? Then count it all joy when you encounter divers' trials. That's expression of Christ in you who is the hope of glory, who gives you peace and joy. Amen. I don't mean when the trials are heavy and difficult and the labor is long. We've been through that recently. I don't mean you jump up and just start giggling like you, you know, you're the village idiot or something. I'll tell you what, this is not the message today, but there comes a point in all your efforts at prayer on the behalf of somebody else, intercession. I believe there comes a point in time in which you realize there's nothing more you can say. There's nothing more you can ask. And at some point in all of the tribulations or the things we go through, like prayer, at some point you have to cast all your care, your anxiety, your uncertainty. You've got to cast that over on the Lord and leave it with Him. And I can tell you, from experience, once you make that and you do that, there is peace. Pray, 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 pray. I've already prayed. I've released my faith. I've cast all my anxious care over on the Lord about that. It's in His hands. But whatever, I, it's in His hands. I will not strive about it anymore. And you walk in peace. You leave it with God. I think Jesus did that. Father, I pray for these. They're going through a lot. They're going to lose everything they had. and the end of their lives, they're all going to be killed. They're going to die various ways, maybe. They even said they put John, the Apostle John, on the Isle of Patmos in Fox's Book of Martyrs that they boil him in a cauldron of oil. He never gave up. I don't even know if that even killed him or not. 
I don't know. I don't even know if it's true or not, but it's pretty extreme. And yet none of them quit. Something happened to those guys that Jesus prayed for. You know that? History tells us that they were the most fearless human beings that went throughout all the world, unafraid to die, counted not their lives as a thing they need to keep. It belonged to God. Took no thought for their life. Proclaimed the gospel. Fearless in the face of spears and swords and hatchets. Raised their hands and praised the Lord. Proclaimed the truth. Something was really deep in these people's lives. Part of it was the fact that Jesus prayed for them that they would be like that. That they wouldn't lose heart and faint and draw back. He could trust them. He prayed for them. Look at verse 15. John 17. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that you should keep them, that you should keep them from the evil one. To keep them from the evil. You know what keep means? To keep an eye on, to guard, like a warden in a prison. Oh, folks, if we got anything at all close to a Sunday with a little whipped cream on it, if we got anything at all like that, let me put a little cherry on top of it for you so you can at least admire the visual. Psalms 32 and verse 8. I will instruct thee, and I will teach thee in the way thou shalt go, and I will guide thee with my eye upon thee. Where else can you go but where he's directing you? That's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way you should shall go. You're not going to go the wrong way if you're following what Jesus is saying. You're not going to wind up in a ditch. And if you did wind up in a ditch along the way, he'll get you out of that ditch. Because ditches weren't made for you. Heaven was made for you. He said, I'll keep them, O Lord. And that isn't all. That isn't all. Because then he includes us here in Shelbytown in verse 20. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. Does that include you? Now, if his prayer was not only for them in that hour, in that day, in that time in history, that they would... Stay put and accomplish and be fearless and, and overcome and have joy, then is the same thing extended to anybody else? Is the prayer of Jesus extended to anybody else? How about you? He said, I pray not only for these that were there, but for those who will believe on me through their word. So listen, I'm in the deal. My portfolio includes this, my spiritual portfolio. I've got stock in the kingdom of heaven. My name is written there. There's a book with my name in it. I didn't put it there either. How do I know it's there? I don't know it's there. I believe it's there. The just lives because he believes his name's there. That's why you don't do a lot of stuff that people do. That's why you don't act the way a lot of people act. Because you believe your name's in heaven. God holds us to a narrow way. And the only way you can prove you believe this is by living narrow. Just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, hello, 
God said, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. So we don't want that. Turn to Hebrews 7 for just a moment. I said earlier about the reason people are saved. People are saved because he's praying. And when he prays, things happen. Well, chapter 7 and verse 25, my Bible says this, Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost. Finally, that come unto God by him. How do we come to God? Remember John six forty four. No man can come to the Son except the Father which sent the Son draw him. Okay, this is who he's talking to. He is able also to save to the uttermost them that come to God by him, seeing what? That he ever liveth to make intercession for them. I don't know what you believe about that. You work on it. But who is it that ever liveth, ever lives? Dying ain't in the program anymore for him. He ever lives to make intercession. For whom? Not the world. Not all these rowdy, boisterous, foolish, sex-crazed people in this world. He could have prayed for any single one of them and they would have been here in the seat with you. But he prayed for you. And he ever lives to make intercession for you because I'll tell you something, we need it every day. This is the prayer, is our title. This is who I want to pray for me. This is who I want praying for me and this is who I want on my side. And what did he pray for Peter? Go back to Luke 22 if you've lost it. Your place. What did he pray for Peter specifically? That thy what? That thy faith fail thee not. That's all you got. You think about this. Think about this. The only thing you have to commend you to God, the only thing you have is not your church membership and your good intentions. It's your faith. And what is faith? Faith is believing that what God said, God will do it. And it goes further than that. Faith is accepting as true what God has said in His Word and is counting on God to do what He said. If He said you're saved, then you'll live saved. You'll do certain things. You'll confess your sins. You'll get baptized. You'll do whatever. Because you're now a follower. You're not a picker and chooser. I don't want to do that. I don't, I don't know about that. No, you'll just follow whatever He says. You surrender your will and your thoughts to God. And if he said, go jump in Gish Creek Lake, you'll just run out there and jump in it. You're not holding back anymore. Your life isn't yours anymore. You gave it to God. And he took it. He says, you are now my property. You are not your own. First Corinthians 6. You are not your own. You belong to God. And he has a right to do with you whatever he wants to. Send you wherever he wants to. Make out of you whatever he wants to. Or put you in a corner somewhere if that's what he wants to do. Because you're his property. But he's going to do something that you're going to be glad of when he gets done with it. But the only thing you got to make any of this work is your faith. Because the first thing that happens when a man quits God is he quits believing. And when he quits believing, trust me with this, when he quits believing, he quits praising. He doesn't have any joy anymore. He can't have joy without faith. 
kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Praise the Lord. Thank you. Joy. And yet, when you're not believing God, when you're not sure and you're backing out, I don't know, I can't, you don't rejoice. That's not rejoicing. It's when you put your hands on that plow to that task that is set before you. You remember that that time years ago you surrendered your life to God. You better keep it surrendered. Because when he said that you're mine, he's serious. And whom he loves, he chases. He's going to make you stay put. So your faith is holding on. And that's why you say, praise God. Hallelujah. I'm going to trust you, Jesus. Joy and faith ignites the air around you. People around you know you've been with God. They know things about you are different because of your faith. Your positive relationship to God, which is a yes to God. Faith. I have not seen it. I have not heard it. But I'm counting on you to do it. Faith. What do we have without that? We can build a church. We can have church programs. We can have departments and department heads and ministries and outreach. We can do all of those things without really believing what God said in His Word. We can just do it because it's what pleases us. We can do that. You know that's true. You don't have to follow the Bible to have church. We should read it to have a sermon, but church today is just a business. It's incorporated. It's got a head. It's got bylaws and committees and rules, and the government oversees it. We're a part of the system. We, I ain't. They are. Others are part of the system of this world, and we choose not to do it that way. And the world said, we are crazy. Well, if I'm mental, if I'm mental and non-medicated, leave me alone. Because I know... Where the heavenly asylum is. And one day I'll take my place in there. It's not an asylum, it's a refuge. It's a haven of rest. So you see, our faith is all we have. Only thing I've got to count on for my health and my healing is what he said in this book. Now there's other things out there. There's all of that's out there. And I'm listen, I'm glad for a lot of people it is out there. If we didn't have all that medical stuff in the world out there, most Christians would be dead. And a lot of people that have had to partake of that have recovered and got themselves strong, and they're all right now. But that system is not for us. The Word of God is for us. Amen. That doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean everybody just does it. It's a war. Like I said earlier, I was sick my whole life. I grew up sick. My parents both smoked constantly. Our house looked like a volcano. It smelled like one. And I breathed stuff like that and was sick all my life. Had a lung operation when I was 20 years old. The most robust time of your life. Had to lose half of a lung. Because, you see, I didn't know anything about this, but when I learned about the truth of this, you begin to surrender to this word, things changed. 
found out that you could do as much with a lung and a half as most people can with three. And you only have two. It's just the fact that God opens his arms and says, Ask, and you shall receive. What things soever you desire when you pray, believe, and your Father's good pleasure to give it to you. Oh, we can't believe for a new lung. Who said you can't believe for a new lung? You can believe for a new lung or a new eye or a new whatever, if you can believe it. I have to admit to you, there's a lot of things that I'd like to believe for that I don't know that I can. I'd love to go down to Louisville and empty a children's hospital, Cosair Children's Hospital. I'd love to walk in there and just start tapping them on the head and they all become normal like us. I would. What I want to believe and what I can believe are sometimes two different things. I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I can do that. Just like a person whose glasses are real thick and they just can't hardly see, they can take them off and throw them down and stomp them. They'll probably be looking for them tomorrow. Or they may walk away and God healed her. I don't know. That's between you and God. But this is all we've got that can draw us to God and that create confidence in your life is your faith in God. That's all you got. But let me tell you something. That's plenty. Because that's the thing that God looks for. The Bible said when Jesus returns, the question he asked was, will he find faith on this earth? book of Hebrews writes, the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back from faith. One little thing. The just, those that are made right with God, shall live by faith, by their faithfulness. But if any man draw back, God says, my soul shall have no pleasure in them. We can't please God without faith. I think the Bible says that too in Hebrews 11. Without faith. This is what we need to work on, all of us. Before we get busy and become church people... We need to become Jesus people in that we trust, walk, and relate to him by faith. I believe that he is, therefore I do. I believe that he is true, therefore I say. I believe that he will, therefore I act. I believe. And the only thing I've got to believe, the only thing that I know is what he said he watches over to perform, and that's just word. But then he said, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by this word. And why is it in the last days that many shall depart from the faith? Why are they in the last days? Why is there so many people that are described as having shipwrecked faith? This is what the devil does to talk you out of your faith. It's in the book of Acts. An evil man was trying to talk a deputy, a proconsul in Acts 13, out of his faith. You don't need to believe that. Uh, that, that. You don't have to believe all of that stuff. Well, now, that's just too narrow and too hard. Nobody can live like that. You don't have to believe that. I mean, God knows your heart. Just do your best. That's all, that's all you got to do. Just do your best. Have a positive attitude. God knows your heart. People live like that. They think that's spiritual. That's psychological. And it's worldly. Yes, a Christian will do your best. Yes, yes, yes. But the basis for our faith is the Word of God. Not feel-goodism. And if a man will trust the Lord with all of his heart and will not lean to his own understanding, but in all of his ways acknowledge God, God will bring into his life those good things that he has promised them. For he prayed that that would happen for you. And if he prayed for Tom Hamilton, his family, 
his marriage, his wife, his home, it's going to happen. I don't care what way your youngsters seem to go, God is faithful to his word. And while things may not look like it's working, it will, in the end, work. Now, our message for today. Go back to Luke 22. With that introduction aside, fourthly, I don't laugh too hard. I might keep you here all morning. I don't mind preaching an hour and 12 minutes. I don't think you mind either. You've been putting up with it for 50 years or at least a while. Finally, he said in Luke 22 and verse 31, he said, And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Been talking to you a little bit here lately about Am I My Brother's Keeper? A series we're going to do later. And it seems in this scenario here, which is a part of what inspired me to go here, Jesus said, Peter, you're going to have trouble. You're going to go through some things. You won't like it, but I'm going to pray for you that your faith, the only thing the devil fears is faith. I'm going to pray that your faith will not fail you. Now, Peter, when you have turned again, converted means to... There's a lot of scripture about conversion and converted, but he says when you have turned again, most of the time we think of being converted as being saved, getting saved. You know, you're walking this way, God shows you your sins, breaks your heart, godly sorrow brings repentance, and when you turn around and begin to walk in newness of life, you're living a converted life. You have turned around and walking in a new direction. Conversion. Maybe that's a reference here to what Peter was going through. It doesn't say. Commentators are not a lot of help, at least not to me. Because I don't know that you have to go through fiery trials in order to get saved. I think you can get saved in a nice, comfortable setting in your home, in a church, or wherever you are. You don't have to be in a fiery trial to be saved. Now, Peter was. And concerning his fiery trial and the devil's agitation of his life, he said, Now, when you're converted, when you're turned around, this is probably a reference to when you have successfully engaged and overcome and you turn back to your strength, back to the Lord, and so, oh, and you don't anymore. When you have won the battle and you've See what's going on. or It could be something like that. The word converted can also mean be restored, confirmed, or to recover. What if he said to Peter once, Peter, I pray for you that your faith fail not. Now, when you recovered, when you regroup, when whatever the work that God is going to do in your life, in the sifting process, when that work takes place and you turn back around to face the direction God wants you to go, or you turn to that way, strengthen your brothers. Maybe Jesus was referring to Peter's denial of Jesus at the cross. Remember at, after the crucifixion, Peter denied the Lord? Peter said, I don't know him three times, and Jesus said, the rooster will crow. You will have denied me three times. You will have denied to your tormentors and your persecutors. 
to spare your own neck and to save your own soul from what's going on with him on that cross, you will curse to even deny that you, I don't, I don't know, because I'm not a dead, I'm not a part of that. I, I don't go to that church. I ain't part of that stuff. You'll do that three times. And then the rooster will crow, and you'll be reminded of what you did. Even though you said, Peter, even though you said, well, they all may forsake you, but I won't, <laughs> not me. And then that rooster crowed. And Peter went away, and the Bible says he wept bitter tears. Maybe this is part of what the sifting was. The devil has got you, Peter, and you're going to go through some stuff that's going to be bitter. The sifting. Maybe that's what he's talking about. I don't know. But maybe that's it. And you're going to have a hard time. Did Peter recover? Turn to John 21. Another favorite place of mine, John chapter 21. See, when he said, strengthen thy brothers, the word strengthen means to establish or to confirm your brothers. What if I told you this morning that in the realm of Christendom, there are lots of members who are not strong? What if I told you that we all need strength that we do not yet have? In God's design for His church, He has determined that by the effect of growth and strength in a person's life, He's going to use people to make people strong. When thou art converted, strengthen whom? Thy brethren. Why don't you just use the smartest guy in a church to strengthen your brethren? Smart doesn't mean experienced. Smart doesn't mean you know anything about life itself. You know all the facts and details, but you've never been down the road. A student learning in a classroom, quietly learning... It's different than a man out there who's gone through fire and water and fiery trials and has come out of it, and he knows now what he read in the Bible, how it works. This is the one that God is going to use and going to direct in the church to those brethren who are struggling, those sisters who are struggling. There's somebody in this building right now, somebody in here, or a bunch of you, your life is going to have meaning and somebody's going to look to you for comments and for help because they have watched you. They know you won't quit. They know you're not going to give up. They've watched you go through things and they, man. And they see you come out strong with a smile on your face because Jesus is praying for you. And they know they're going through some things. Well, can I talk to you about something? Yeah. <laughs> and a brother with experience can say, you know what? I know what you're going through. Let me tell you something. And just remember this. In Galatians 6.1, if you see a brother overtaking a fault, you who are spiritual. You who are spiritual. Man, spiritual has been somewhere and has gained something from God. He's been through fire and water or something. He's a spiritual man. He's proven himself spiritually adept because he didn't quit. Held fast. But the Bible says, restore such a one. And he has these words at the end of Galatians 6.1. In the spirit of meekness. In the spirit of meekness. 
nobody here is allowed to ram your finger down somebody else's face. Because God didn't do that to you. In fact, when you went through some trials, some of those dark nights in your trials, you, oh, man, you were on your face ready to quit, and God brought you through. Just remember, others are going through the same thing. You've got to know how they feel because you're the one that's going to have the words that God will use to make them strong and overcome. It's the body ministering to the body. It's the joint supplying to the other joints what makes a joint strong. We're not dependent on each other. We're dependent on God. It's just God's plan to take the strong and strengthen the weak. Didn't he say in Romans 14, 1, Him that is weak in the faith, receive ye, but not to doubtful disputings. He said that. We have an obligation to each other. First of all, to walk by faith and to overcome. To prove ourselves somebody whose words are worthy to listen to. Some people's testimony is so rotten, nobody would listen to them. They had nothing to say. They shouldn't say. And yet there's people who are not the class act, ordinary, simple, meek, humble human beings that are tougher nails. They would rather die than disobey God. They would rather let a car run over them or crawl across glass than to give up. And God blesses them. You know he has. Going through trouble with your family, with your kids, and with money and your business, or with neighbors, whatever thing that we know about, and you overcome. God is going to make you one of those people in the church that will strengthen other people. You know how it works. Just like Jesus, our high priest. We have not a high priest, the Bible says, who cannot be Touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He was in all points tested like we are, yet without sin. That's why we turn to Him. He never failed. He always had an answer. I want to be like that. And I want Him to pray for me. Because He is the one who will turn me around and point me to you. And He say, here, talk to Thomas. Talk to Kenny. Go to them. Speak kindly and gently to them. Pray that prayer in Isaiah 50-something. The Lord waketh me in the morning, gives me a word for the weary. Give me a word for the weary. He wakeneth me and teacheth me to minister to His people. How many of you know that in a sense we are all ministers to each other? We are, by definition a body of believers whose design it is to minister to each other and in this way build up and make strong the body. That's Ephesians 4. But the people that are going to build it up are not just little heady, nerdy people that walk around with the Bible that can quote the Scripture. It's people that have been there. It's people that have been there. Before you criticize another man, somebody once said, you need to walk in his shoes. I was fussing at my brother once about my mom. I, I can't remember. And he stopped me and he said, you ever consider what moms had to go through? I don't want to consider that. I just want to fuss. 
divorce early, hysterectomy at age 25, struggles, difficulties, hormonal imbalance. How would you feel if you were in her shoes? Well, I never put myself in her shoes, but it changed my look at my mother. You know, I wouldn't want to have to go through that. No wonder it was so difficult for her. Some people are just wise in this world. Some people have walked far enough with the Lord and learned enough in the little difficulties and the skirmishes in their life to know that you've learned something. Are you still in John 21? Strengthening your brothers is what happens here with the man who failed the worst. To me, Peter was the worst example of failure in the New Testament. He denied the Lord. I'm sure when he was rebuked for walking on the water, he took that that way. He was rebuked for the rooster thing. Oh, I would never forsake you. And Jesus said, yes, you will. He's the one that did this. And he's, he just failed all the time. And in fact, whenever Jesus came back, the angel said, go tell his disciples and Peter. You mean he's not a disciple now? But go tell his disciples and Peter too to meet him up in Galilee. I wonder what was going on in his mind about that feelings to quit. The devil shook him pretty good. But Jesus said, I prayed for you. And there on that seashore in Galilee, when Peter dove out of the boat and swam to the shore because somebody said, it's the Lord. And they gathered around that little fire and they have you anything to eat? And they gave him some fishes and he roasted the fish and he ate some of it in front of them with a heavenly body. Where did the fish go? I don't know. Don't have to know. He turns to Peter in verse 15 and he says, Simon, Peter, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. And he saith unto them, minister to my people. Feed my sheep. Bosco. Bosco means to teach, instruct, feed. Give yourself the time to learn what you believe and then take time to share it with people and, and labor in this because my people need this and I'm going to strengthen my body like this. I'm going to use you. I'm not going to shout down from heaven, put a revelation in their hearts. I'm going to use an ordinary man that's been converted and I'm going to have him teach the people. And they'll listen to you because they know where you've been. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Are you willing to sacrificially lay down your life for me no matter what? Peter said, I just proved I won't. But I do have affection and brotherly love for you. That's as far as I can go, Lord. Jesus said, Bosco, my sheep. Me? Would the other guys look at each other and say, him? He just flopped and fell on his face. Why would he use the flop? Because he's being turned around. He said a second time, Simon, in verse 16, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And he saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I phileo you. And he said unto him, Poimeno, my sheep. Ooh. We got a Bosco and a Poimeno. Words in the New Testament that describe leaders in the church. There's Episcopos, from which we get Episcopalian. There's presbyteros, you're welcome, with the presbytery, the leaders. There is the 
poimeno, the word that is used here, which means to serve. There's the other word, which means to pastor the people. Four words. And they are all, to me, essentially referring to the same thing in the church. Proven men leading people. It doesn't have to do all the preaching. doesn't have to do all the believing. My job is not that. I probably treat it like that. But his job is to oversee the people. To oversee the people and how well they're doing. To call attention to the ones that aren't doing well. To make them accountable. I'm watching you. But yet, I don't have to do that because if any of you see a brother overtaken in a fault, call the appointment over to get him. No, I said, you who are spiritual, you go to them. They might fall away and quit. They're weak. They fall pretty easy. They need a little strength. You've got some. Share it with them. Simon, when you were converted, strengthen your brother. Because when he asked him again, he said, do you love me? He said, you bosco my sheep. I'm choosing you. Why, Peter? Because you know what you believe now. You know what Peter wrote when he wrote 1 Peter chapter 4? Listen to this in verse 12. He said, think it not strange. He wrote, Peter, the one who was the first of the leaders. He said, think it not strange concerning the fiery trials which are to try you as though something strange has happened to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings. That when his glory shall be revealed, you may rejoice with joy unspeakable, full of glory. That's what he wrote. That's what he wrote. And the man that wrote that was a man that flopped and failed miserably. Only God knows this morning how many times you sitting here or you out there in the electronic world, how many of us have wanted to quit, thought about quitting, or just sort of backed off for a while because things didn't go well for you? That's because you're weak. You're not near as strong as you thought you were. Wouldn't it have been nice if in those times somebody had been sensitive and the Lord could have sent a loving person to you? See, I know what you're going through. Let's go have a cup of coffee. I'm going to pray with you about it. Would that have helped? Or we said, ain't none of your business. Or would you have said, it is, I want it to be my business because I don't want to flounder. We have an obligation to each other. Because it seems to me, it seems to me this morning as I close, that the whole design in the devil coming in, the sifting taking place, and your need to hold on to your faith is so that you can be a proven vessel for ministry. For once you are converted, what do you say? When you are converted, strengthen your brother. Paul wrote, you're going to like this. You don't like this, you don't have to put anything in the offering box, all right? You don't have to anyway. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same. You're going to go through it. Sufferings which we also suffer... 
or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. You're watching our lives unfold before you, seeing what we're going through. It is to encourage you and strengthen you, not make you dread walking the way we're supposed to walk. Verse 7, And our hope of you is steadfast, having that as you are partaker of the suffering, so shall you also be of the consolation. For we would not, brethren, have you to be ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. Does that mean that they figured they were going to die? It does. It's probably a shipwreck that he was speaking of. As far as we're concerned, there's no way out of this, we're going to die. And you've probably been there in some other way. Maybe not die, but you can't succeed. Well, here's what he said. Verse 9, but we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raiseth the dead. It doesn't even say that he had faith to get him through that. It just said we had the sentence of death in us. We had in our hearts, we, we're going to die. But we didn't die. Let me ask you a question. Has anybody in this room ever won a victory when you didn't deserve to win it? You ever give a testimony about your wonderful victory when in your heart you say, you should have died. You cried all night. You're like a baby. I've done that once or twice in my life, and I got rebuked really good in my heart. People out there are going through things. Quit acting like there's nothing to it. It was a whole lot to it. You nearly quit over it. And you whined and cried around, and yet God sovereignly and by grace delivered you and set you back on your feet. And you know in your heart you didn't deserve that, but he did that. You know why? I think because he's praying for me. Because he's praying for me. Verse 10, who delivered us from so great a death and doth deliver, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. Now, verse 11, as we close, you also... We're going through something, but you are too. Listen, you also helping together for prayer for us. For the gift bestowed upon us by the means of many persons, thanks may be given by many on our behalf. That's probably some money, some support. You also helped us with prayer. Do we have an obligation to do that for each other? Things are better this week than they were last week because somebody's prayed. And not only did somebody pray, somebody's believing. I don't care how busy you are and how many hours a night you get up and do Nothing works unless you believe when you pray. And if only one person is believing, it works. Because God is watching from heaven. His ears are open to our cries. And he bends low, allowing things to linger sometimes to see whether or not you will hold fast or let go. And isn't he good to us? Isn't God good to the likes of us? We couldn't have done this better in any other way. God loves us. God loves us and God cares for us. God is on our side. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And as he prayed for Peter, that he would also pray that for us. He holds us in remembrance. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, 
As you look upon the folks that are sitting here before me, those that are listening wherever they are, encourage us by your Spirit to know that you have chosen us, that you are with us, that you will never leave us nor forsake us. You will never let the snare of the fowl or capture us. You will keep us. As you said in the Psalms, you have set your love upon us, therefore, and you mentioned that with long life will you satisfy us. May these encouraging words from your word find their way into our hearts so that we, in this room, those, wherever, who believe, not only can be made strong, but can strengthen others and make us strong. And I ask you to do that in Jesus' name. Amen.